podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Okay. Those of you who are with us today, for the very first time, we have been on a series called Jesus and Money for the past several weeks. Don't get up and run out of the house. (laughs) Um, One of the, (laughs) Randall, (laughs) I have actually, over the course of us studying and preparing for this series and sitting under Tom's ministry over the past few weeks, he had two weeks back to back where he taught us on a biblical worldview of money. Last week, Jonathan gave a fantastic message on our responsibility as those who would be considered by global standards as wealthy. Now, I know it's hard for us to imagine this, particularly if there's any of us in this room that are dealing with very real financial struggles and challenges, which again, I want to legitimize that those are very real. It might be difficult for us to imagine that to the world's standards, most of us, if not all of us in this room, are, are really wealthy by the world's standards. There's an entire world out there, and if we were to go through statistics, and Tom went through a lot of them, they're staggering. Everything from health care to uh, food, access to clean water, shelter. Uh, we really are a privileged people, and we're a privileged country. We live in a privileged age. And Jonathan, I think, did just a magnificent job, and it was so convicting in the best way the very best way that the word and the spirit are supposed to bring conviction when our lives and our hearts and our attitudes and our lifestyles are not conforming with the truth of God's word. Um, It was eye-opening for me as I've just read more and more around this that, that Jesus never once, while there is wisdom in saving, Jesus never once taught us how to approach money the way the world teaches us to approach money. Never once. Never once did he say that the purpose of money or um, having a, a dignified job is for us just to accumulate more and more and more and more and more so that we could tuck, tuck, tuck away so that by the end of our life, we could just live more comfortable lives. That nowhere once in the four gospels do we see Jesus saying that. And so um, when Jesus speaks about the nature of money, if we have open hearts like Matt prayed today, it really can be convicting. And here's why, because the air that we breathe, particularly in America, the air that we breathe is get more, do more, get more, uh, produce more, get more stuff, overspend, overconsume, buy houses that are too big for you to live in, buy newer luxurious cars that really work just as well as another car that is, that is more simple. Um, get clothes that you're not going to wear. Have you guys seen that show? What's that? Maria Conde, is that her name? Conda? Yeah. It's, it, I don't know, whatever. Her, she's a Japanese gal. She walks in and she basically teaches people how to declutter is simplify their lives. You watch this show, I'm telling you, like literally rooms full of stuff, full bags. Like sometimes people like rolling up with moving trucks, cleaning out their home. What is that? It's the air that we breathe. It's what we've been conditioned to believe that this is what we need or this is what we deserve. And so today I have 
um, the very diligent and d- difficult task in the next 20 minutes or so um, to talk about framing money uh, the right way. And my big idea that I want to just drive home today for us is this, is that money will never fulfill something that God only was designed to fulfill. That's it. Money will never fulfill something that only God can fulfill, that only God has designed you for him to fulfill, and that God desires to fulfill for you and for me. Money will never do it. And the great lie is the same lie as was in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. And it's the same lie that we deal with today. You can have all of this, Adam. You can have all of this, Eve. Scripture is very clear. You can have every fruit from any tree in the garden. That's abundance. That's abundance. God created the world, and before sin, it was absolutely immaculate. It was perfect. It was abundant. And God puts man and woman in the garden and says, you can have all of it. I'm just going to ask for you to not touch this one thing. You can have it all. I just, re- I just want this one tree right here. Don't touch it. This one belongs to me. And the, the tactic of the enemy, the tactic of the enemy then is the same tactic that he uses with us today as it relates to money. It's not enough. Wait, so you mean to tell me that God provided 99.9% of everything that the world had to offer and the enemy comes and his tactic is, that's not enough. Why can't you have it all? Why can't you have it all? And that really is, when we think about our relationship with money, that's one of the things that we have to wrestle with. How much is enough? And to what degree am I looking to this money to be for me what God alone can be for me? All right, so let's go to Luke chapter 12. We're going to read several verses, and we're going to unpack some of these ideas very, very quickly. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. Chapter 12, verse 22. He said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do you know that money in America is the number one cause of anxiety and stress? Yeah. Number one cause of anxiety and stress. And here Jesus is saying, and Jesus understands this. He knows these things. He knows how we're wired. He knows the subtle and insidious and deceptive nature of money and mammon. And he says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. If we really like dig into it, these are some deeply theological things that Jesus is unpacking here. The image of God in you far surpasses your, your cravings to clothe yourself and feed yourself in a manner that are beyond what's necessary. Consider the ravens. They don't sow. They don't reap. They have neither storehouse nor barns. They don't have savings accounts. They don't have 401ks. And yet God feeds them. You know, that prayer in the Lord's Prayer that we pray every week and for some of us every day, There's a line in that prayer that is actually designed to form the desires of our heart that have a tendency to get out of control and go beyond limits. And that prayer is, give us this day my daily bread. That prayer is essentially saying, God, be for me my source. 
be, you be for me my source. Govern and orient the trajectory of my heart to look to you to be the one that feeds me and provides for me everything that I need. Verse 26, if then you are not able, oh, verse, 20, verse 25, and can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? Can you add, can you add to the quality of life by worrying, by stressing, by fretting, by ruminating, by meditating, by being frustrated, by calculating so many different kinds of plans and worst case scenarios? Are you adding to the quality and the richness of your life by worrying. Verse 26, if then you are not able to do a small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you Oh, you of little faith, how much more, how much more will he clothe you? Now, he just said that comparatively, the lilies are more glorious and they have more splendor than the richest man in Israel's history. And then he says, how much more will I take care of you? I got you. Verse 29, do not keep striving for where you are to eat, what you're to drink. Do not keep worrying. For it is the nations of the world that strive after all these things and your father knows you need them. That's a great phrase to just meditate on until it gets in your bones. The father knows what I need. The father knows what I need. And then if you're anything like me, maybe you start to struggle and go, okay, well, that's great, but, but what about what I want? Does the father know what I want? <laughs> the father knows what you need and that's the issue learning contentment and humility and gratitude with the things which we truly need now I'm going to say this I don't think the father has a problem with us wanting things Jonathan was very clear about that last week we're not allowed we're, it's not that we're not allowed to want things it's not that we should feel guilty if small material things bring us some sense of satisfaction or bring us some sense of temporary fulfillment, but we have to locate those things in their proper place. This is not the source of my joy. This is not the source of my peace. This is not the source of my fulfillment because material things were never designed to fulfill only those things which God can fulfill. Your father knows what you need. Instead, seek his kingdom, strive for his kingdom, labor, give your energy, give your attention, give your thoughts to his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Last verse, verse 32, do not be afraid. Say, do not be afraid. Come on, let's just get honest today. How many of you have ever experienced any measure of fear as it relates to money? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. A lot of us have. Do not be afraid. And what I want to try to get after here today is that one of the things that being stewards of money, one of the things that God has designed in this economy is that money can be utilized to reveal what's in the heart. 
But you don't know what's in the heart. God was very clear. Remember that when David was anointed as king and Samuel was anointing all of the tall, handsome, robust, warrior-looking men. And, and God said to Samuel, do not look on the external appearances because man doesn't know the heart, only God knows the heart. So then the question is, how do we come to know our heart? God reveals a couple of ways that we can discover our heart. Number one, it's by your words. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You wanna know what's in your heart? Pay attention to what you say slander, jealousy, gossip, anger, resentment, bitterness. That's in your heart because it's coming out of your mouth. But the other way that God knows and he shows us what's in our heart is how we handle money. He says it right here. Do not fear, little flock. Don't fear. Fear is an issue of the heart. And how do we know whether or not we're fearing? Well, he says right here, because you're consuming your time with worry. Right? It's a relationship that you have with money. All right, here's a couple of things just for you can jot down just for us to be aware of that if we're not careful, we will look to money to provide these things that only God can. Number one, identity. Okay, why do people buy certain like name brand clothes and cars? Why, right? Because it gives them, now some of you like myself will justify and say because they're better quality and if I take care of them, it last longer, it's better stewardship. okay. And there's a part of that that's true. But there's a bigger part of that that's, hey, this is what everybody says is amazing. And if I wear this, then obviously I'm amazing because I'm wearing what everybody else thinks is amazing. Right? It's identity. It's an identity factor. Okay? Why are people who broke dropping 300 Benjamins on, on Jordans? Why? Why? Because J's are cool. <laughs> okay? And if J's are cool and I wear J's, therefore I am cool. You lost cool points by the fact you dropped $300 and you ain't got $300 to pay for J's. Cool points went out the window. I mean, we gotta just, we gotta kind of pull out of the matrix a little bit and we gotta recognize that the things that we put on our body, the things that, the, the cars that we drive in, I'll never forget, man, Bishop Jakes, he got all over the church one year. I was like, go on, Bishop. He just got all over the church. He's like, you guys can't even put your house in a family and you're driving a Mercedes. You're driving a BMW. And yet you, you can't even put your family in a safe house. What is that? It's identity. It's because these things represent some level of status. And God is the only one who can reveal identity to us. He's the only one whose identity matters. And if we're not careful, our relationship with money translates into uh, a never-ending search and struggle for identity. All right, number two, we look for peace in money. Who can provide peace? Do you know, do you know that there are studies of people that are rich without Christ that are more frustrated, more conflicted, people that didn't have money before they got, you know, they won a lottery and there's been studies that have been done, people who have won the lottery, right? You think that millions of dollars are gonna solve all of our problems. I'm telling you, if you don't have the things that only God can provide, millions of dollars are not gonna provide it. It's not gonna provide peace to your mind, your imagination, your rest, your sleep, your soul, your emotions, right? If you got marital problems, money ain't gonna solve it. If you've not been, been pursuing the heart of your children, money's not gonna automatically fix that. 
right? Because it's not money that they want. They want you. They want your authenticity. They want your time. They want your attention. They want your heart. Money will not provide peace. God is only the one who can provide peace. Money will not provide joy. Maybe it will provide temporary happiness. I'll give you that. I'll take that. <laughs> right? There's a country song where a guy was like, what do you say? Money will buy me a boat and buy me a something with a yeah, car and truck to pull it. Yeah, exactly, right? You guys know. I was kind of like, come on. Come up here and sing it for us, Jeff. <laughs> Money will provide temporary happiness. But happiness and joy are two different concepts. Okay, happiness comes from the root word happenstance, which is temporary. All right, so it will, give you, it will give you some sense of satisfaction in the moment, but it will not provide lasting joy, which gives you the ability to, no matter what the situation or the struggle or the circumstance is, that you can have a lasting joy. Money cannot provide you a proper sense of purpose. Money is a tool that can serve your purpose, but money cannot give you purpose. Only God can give you purpose. Are you understanding? Okay, so where we go here. Let me, let me just like literally in three minutes, let me talk about a gospel orientation towards money. And then we're, if we get to it, we're gonna talk here about um, putting our trust in God. Okay, so a gospel orientation, what does that mean? First and foremost, let me just say this. The world is trying to squeeze us into its ideology of what is good, bad, right, and wrong, all right? So the world's approach to money, there's many, but I'm gonna give one. The world's approach to money is very simply this. Pay off all your debts. Actually, prior to that is get in debt, right? But then, like, you know, quote, unquote, wise money management is get in debt, pay off all your debt, okay? And then, hey, pay off your house if you can, by the way, only like the top 1% of all wealth in America is actually positioned in a place where they can actually even pay for their homes. The top 1%, okay? Most of, the Amer most of Americans live in debt. And so now like financial wisdom is pay off all your debts, get in a place where you can pay off your home and then tuck all your money away so you can live, you can live comfortably for the rest of your lives. That's human wisdom. We're gonna, we're gonna watch a YouTube video? Oh, there's one in the back. I just thought, I thought we had like a video clip we're gonna show. <laughs> okay, so now listen, I wanna be very, very clear here, guys. I wanna be very clear because God is not advocating that we do not operate off of sound wisdom. All throughout the scripture, we can, we can find scriptures that justify saving. We can find, find scriptures that justify delayed gratification and those are good and those are right, but they have to be held in their proper place like Jonathan taught last week. Now here, let me just take this to the next iteration. Human wisdom does not become Christian wisdom just because we slap 10% on it. Human wisdom does not become Christian wisdom just because we slap 10% on it. In other words, just because you tithe, and I believe in tithing, and we're gonna teach tithing, but just because you tithe does not mean that your heart is free from greed and materialism and consumerism, and, and fear, and worry, and anxiety, and idolatry, and control, and false security. Slapping 10% on something doesn't mean that you're free from these heart issues. Are you with me? So the, the purpose or the, the spirit of the law here, the spirit of the tithe, 
is that we should tithe because of all the things that the tithe has the power to do in our lives, but to do it in a way where we're allowing the power of God to touch all the other hidden parts of our heart. Right? So gospel perspective, number one, God owns everything. Right? We believe that we're gospel people. Let's just take money aside. All right, you guys are all hung up on money. Let's just put money over here. Let's just preach the gospel. Number one, God's the creator and owner of everything. Psalm 24 verse one says, the earth is the Lord's, everything, and the fullness thereof. Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two, everything belongs to God. He created all of it. Colossians chapter one, everything came into existence and being by the word of God and through Jesus. All right, do we believe that? Do we really believe it? Do we really believe it? Okay, do we believe that so much that we say, okay, if God, if everything belongs to you and you ask for 10% of everything that belongs to you, then it's yours, no questions asked. Do we really believe it? Do we really believe that God is the owner of everything whenever he says, hey, I want you to take some of that money that you've been saving for your special vacation. I want you to use that for this need on this family over here that I have. Do we really believe that God owns everything? Is, the cre- is he the creator, the controller, and the owner of everything? Because like Matt prayed today, if he is the creator, controller, and owner of everything, then it means that everything that I have belongs to him. Everything that I have belongs to him. Everything. Everything. Every pair of shoes, every vehicle, my home, every article of clothing, every extra dollar, every bonus that comes in, it all, it's all his. Which means if it is all his and I'm the steward, then the appropriate relationship and behavior is to say every time a dollar comes into my life, God, this is your money. What would you like me to do with it? This is your money. What would you like? And that's whether or not you're making $10 an hour or $1,000 an hour. This is your money. This is your money. And let me just tell you right now, you know, that, that idea that, oh, well, I'll do it if I start making more money. Listen, if you ain't tithing off of $10, you ain't tithing off of $10,000. you are just not doing it. Because it's a hard issue of fear and greed and idolatry and false security and control. That's what the issue is. So God controls everything. It's the gospel. And if we really believe that God controls everything and he's the owner and creator of everything, then we say, God, all of my money is yours. It belongs to you. Okay, number two, the world has been broken by sin. Agree or disagree? Come on, it's gospel. Which means that our relationship with the things of this world has been broken by sin. It has been influenced, it has been affected, It has been poisoned by sin. We no longer relate to the things of this world properly as the way that we were supposed to. We were supposed to have dominion over the resources of the world, right? The resources of the world were not supposed to have dominion over us until sin entered in and changed the nature of the relationship. Now, the very thing that I'm supposed to be ruling and mastering and stewarding for his glory and his purposes, now I've become a slave to it because of sin. This is gospel. But here's the good news. Number three is that grace gives us hope and empowerment, right? So let me just speak to those of you in, 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 in this room this morning who may have had bad experiences or moments or made bad decisions or choices. I'm here to tell you today that the grace of God gives you hope and the empowerment of the spirit will empower you to overcome any and every financial mistake. His grace is bigger. His grace is greater. You are not stained for the rest of eternity because you made bad finance decisions. A lot of us have. 
a lot of us have had poor choices. A lot of us have not been educated financially. A lot of us were put in situations that were beyond us. A lot of us were victimized. A lot of us were irresponsible. But I'm here to tell you today, grace is greater than our irresponsibility. Grace is greater than what happens to us or what happened to us. Are you hearing me? Are you here with me? Okay. And number four, fourth aspect of the gospel is very simply that uh, we were created with a greater purpose. We were created with a greater purpose. All right, so one of the reasons why God wants us to understand how to steward finances and financial resources is so that our lives can get into alignment to a greater degree with kingdom purposes that touch eternity. They touch eternity, all right? God wants every single one of us to be financers in eternity. He wants all of us to be investors into eternity. Now, let me just pause right here and say this, that uh, coming in 2020, we're actually gonna have classes um, on how to handle finances, budgeting, financial responsibility. But the reason we've taken this approach to our series is this. Guys, listen, we can have all the budgeting information in the world and better budgeting techniques and better budgeting understanding and better money savviness and having more money in and of itself cannot heal the sickness of the heart. You can know how to budget and still be in fear. You can be budgeting amazingly and still be walking in control, false security, greed, consumerism, putting yourself in the place of God and doing it with a budget. And a budget can help you. A budget can help you become your own God. Or a budget can help you serve God. Okay, so we're going to get there in 2020, but we're just, we're going after issues of the heart this morning. All right, so... Um, let's, let's go ahead and just, let's just stop there, all right? Next week, in addition to Jonathan and I hitting some very, very practical, practical things, uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about the tithe. We're gonna talk a little bit about uh, practical avenues to move us to become generous givers. And then um, I'll probably hit these issues of the heart very, very quickly next week, how we can move from pride to gratitude, how we can move from coveting to contentment, how we can move from idolatry to worship and how we can move from anxiety to trust. All right, so that's next week. Y'all gotta come back to church next week. <laughs> Amen. Come on, stand with me to your feet this morning. You guys are awesome. That's all there is to it. You guys are, you guys are awesome. You're awesome. Hmm. Look at somebody, tell them they're awesome. Say you're awesome. It's true. You're awesome. <laughs> You're awesome. John Lennon over here singing a gospel song. You're awesome. Yes, you are. Okay, <laughs> y'all are crazy. Y'all are just, y'all. <laughs> Come on up here. We, we're coming to the table. We should settle down, right? <laughs> That's right. Amen.
<laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just pause here and think about the goodness of God. Everything that we have is from you, Lord. Everything that we have. And Father, today, before we come and we receive afresh and anew of the bountiful gift of life, Lord, that is both memorialized and somehow conferred to us, God, at this table, we're asking you today to remind us in a way that only you can do so perfectly. That there are things in our heart that only you can meet. And so, Father, today, where we have looked for identity, where we have looked for worship or security, where we have looked for peace or contentment or joy or purpose in money or stuff or homes or cars or status symbols or bank accounts or savings accounts, Father, today, we just... Give us the grace to open our hands and to say, oh God, forgive us. Where I have looked to things to satisfy a part of my heart that only you can satisfy. Oh God, I, I repent. And would you convict me and would you teach me and would you train me? And Father, help me to find my deepest contentment and satisfaction and fulfillment in you. As we come and we receive at your table with joy, with identity, with worship, with purpose, with celebration, with peace, Father, I pray that you would fill our cup today. Antioch, come in that same spirit of joy and receive the bread and the cup, and we will all partake together as a family. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.